You're listening to the Mobcast Network. Welcome to the Cult Movie Cantina. This podcast takes a look at our favorite cult films, introduces them to someone who hasn't seen them. She's, She's not, not here. here. <laughs> Pairs them with an alcoholic beverage. Me. And then we talk about it. Uh, this week we watched the uh, 1999 classic sci-fi film Galaxy Quest. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Which that did not say because I, okay, full discretion. That is, is not what the script said because I just copied paste from the last show. Right, and I'm forgot. sitting here looking at it going, I, wait a minute. But I was did pretty good to remember what year it was. You did because I was like, wait a minute, I didn't watch that movie. <laughs> I'm your Native American pop culture spirit guide, Scotty, and I'm joined by your lady of libations and your facilitator of fun, Stephanie. We have an action-packed show for you, but first... But first, if you'd like to follow us, you can find us on any fine podcast app, including Spotify, by searching for the Mopcat Net, not the Mopcast Network. <laughs> for <laughs> the Mopcats. Mop, <laughs> Mopcats. Mopcast Network. That's our next show, it's Mopcats. <laughs> of course. You, um, <laughs> you can find us on YouTube at Mopcast Network, where we have our podcast, movie reviews, mashups, and our short films, where you can see me naked, waiting for you to enjoy. You can subscribe and set the alert so you don't miss anything so a note about that i've been watching the youtube camp on that show they haven't found you yet they haven't found me <laughs> naked yet? Found yet oh they're not trying hard <laughs> enough uh, if you want to find more uh, about the Cult Movie Cantina, you can join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash cantina. There you can find out the latest movie news, see trailers, play games such as Wrong Title Only, and caption this. Talk to other cultists. Find out when we'll be in your town. Hey, and speaking of live shows, you will see us at Pensacon this weekend, February 28th, with a live cult movie cantina. So join us as we take a look at the film They Live. Plus, we'll have prizes. Uh, let's see. Plus, we'll have prizes for our audience. Um, is also getting free sunglasses while supplies last. So I've got I have like forty eight sunglasses. So if you're forty nine and fifty, I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, if you're forty seven, because I'm going to take a pair. Yeah, probably um, Justina too. Probably okay. So like forty five. Forty five. Forty five people get sunglasses. <laughs> um, so that's Friday night, February twenty eighth, in the Grand Hotel Ballroom C. We start at 6.30 p.m. That's Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida. We hope to see you there. Plus, we have a table at Pensacon, so uh, we'll be there all weekend, February 28th through March 1st. It's located at 16C, which is on the top layer, I think. I'm not... The map is weird. I haven't figured it out yet. But you look for the Ninja Mop table. Uh, Ninja Mop Studios table, you can find it at on the Pensacon app. So download the Pensacon app. You can find us that way. Uh, Ninja Mop is our printing brand, so that means you can buy our comic stickers and prints from us. You can also chat with us, and you know we have some cool free swag too so we hope to see you there i'm excited i am too stephanie we have a guest i know we do i'm excited introduce our guest our (laughs) guest is angelo from two guys and some change which is another great local podcast how y'all good doing tonight hey angelo how you doing doing good doing good busy day looking forward to talking about this great topic So it so as we record, it's the day before Mardi Gras here, right? Right. And your sh- your shop is located 
Midtown, outside. Out of, like right outside the, the zone, though. Yeah, we're on the outskirts <laughs> of the Mardi Gras zone, so we're actually closed on Mardi Gras Day just because people outside the whole entire area fear Mobile during Mardi Gras, <laughs> or they embrace it, and they're not going to get any farther than the parade route. So it doesn't do us much good to stay open. We'll be in a dead zone, in other words. I got you. I totally understand. It's kind of like being in Bartertown and like uh, Mad Max is just looking, <laughs> sneaking over to see what, what kind of prizes they're doing in Thunderdome over there. Right. <laughs> exactly. What's going on over there? <laughs> so that's Well, welcome, Angelo. Thank you. It's good to be here. So we are doing the uh, 1999 sci-fi, you know... It's a comedy, and it's you know it's it's wonderful. I think um, it's it's not quite. It has layers. It does. It's you know I think approaching this, you could call it a parody, but it's not quite that. I think it develops in so something so much more. I would call it more of an homage because Ooh. it is a parody, but it's sort of a comic homage to a particular film. But they did not do it in a mean or no, way. Yeah, they were, I loved how they did this, right? Because I also love the original subject material so much. But they did it in a fun way. It was. It's not. It's. It's kind of like they've taken um, basically what happens to these actors after they're no longer relevant all on the TV. Bits yeah, of all the, the original right. series. Exactly. You know, and all the cons that they go to because that's really what actors do now from those kind of movies, <laughs> shows, TV shows. They just go to cons. Well, and, and the interesting thing to me is if you really jump back and look at it. The, the movie that this is truly based off of or, you know, making fun of is Star Trek, the original series, which was out there for a very limited amount of time. And yet these people decades later are still cashing in on that fame and fortune from that. And this took a very lighthearted but fun and happy way of enjoying that to me. That's no, all right. right. No, no, it's completely, completely true. So uh, before we get in too deep in this, let's go ahead and listen to the trailer now. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this to- Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. Oh, darn. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill him. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that's not in vulnerable spots. 
All right, Galley Sequest, like I said, was from 1999. It was directed by Dean Parasot. Now, Dean has directed Home Fries, Fun with Dick and Jane, uh, Red 2. He's currently working on Bill and Ted Face the Music. I can't wait to Excellent. see that. <laughs> I have a s- interesting side story about Dean. Okay. So, uh, at my real job, in my real life job, uh, I, my, who I lovingly call my grand boss, is an Oscar nominee for short film from oh. 1989. Oh, wow. He lost to... Dean Parasite. Oh, that <laughs> oh is my so gosh. cool. Uh, Dean Parasite won the Oscar in 1989 with Stephen Wright, who's a comedian. He's very dry. Uh, he has um, been in a few films. Most famously, he is in uh, Reservoir Dogs as the announcer, the radio announcer for, for all the songs. K Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s continues. You just heard The World is a Ghetto by War and Billy Don't Be a Hero by Bull Donaldson and the Haywoods. And if you're the 12th caller, You'll win two tickets to the monster truck extravaganza being held tonight at the Carson Fairgrounds, featuring Big Daddy Don Bodine's truck, The Behemoth. The 12th caller wins on the station where the 70s survived. K-B-I-L-L-Y. That is also okay. one of my favorite films. So that's and so uh, when I did the research, I did not know Stephen Wright had an Oscar. So now I'm like, wow, very he's cool. very funny. Can me? I highly recommend you guys looking him up. So it was written by David Howard, who has written this and a movie called Trek the Movie, which is about Mormons. What? <laughs> I've not seen that one. I've not, not even either. heard of that one at this point. Trek the Movie and it's about Mormons? It's about Mormons on a trek. They're like trekking to, and it's, I, you know, wow. <laughs> so no stars in that one on uh, any level. And then uh, the, the rewrites on this uh, were by Robert Gordon, who went on to do Men in Black 2 and Lemony Snicket, among other things. It stars Tim Allen. Insert funny noise here. Tim the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> as Jason Nesmith. Uh, Sigourney Weaver as Gwen DeMarco. He Al- looks great with blonde hair. She does. Uh, Alan Rickman, the great Alan Rickman. I love Alan, him so Alexander Dane, he is wonderful in this. Uh, who, uh, Tony Shalhoub, who is amazing in this as well as Fred Kwan. Sam Rockwell is one of his early films as Guy Fligman. Uh, Daryl Mitchell as Tommy Weber. Enrico Colantari as Mathazar. Robin Sachs as Saris. Patrick Breen as Quaylick. Missy Pyle as uh, Lilari Jedress as Ted Justin Long in his first debut right. as Brandon uh, Rain Wilson is also in this as one of the aliens too from from The Office this is his first um, debut so yeah it's, that's awesome it is uh, you know we've this is our I don't know 12th 13th film we've done and this is one of the most robust casts we've ever had it's awesome I love Tony Shalhoub in this movie because he's so non-phased about anything. <laughs> he just like doesn't care. Yeah, very nonchalant about yeah. everything. He's like, ah. Uh, see, uh. one of the things that I love about this is that they make fun of the whole red shirt thing. Oh, yeah. Out oh, of yeah. All of, and there was actually a book by John Scalzi, which I love, called Red Shirts, which also made you know, a huge parody about the whole red shirt thing in you know the original series. And so when I read the book and then I see this, and it all sort of ties together into this hilarious amalgam of weird little facts and, and fun facts about this. And as, as you all know, I do read just a wee little bit. Yeah, we've been to his house. He has tons and tons I, of, like, you I want a, a day just to go through the books. You have to, I mean, no, it takes more than a day. He literally has tons of them. I mean, you, that's the only way I can I measure know, them. I know, but I love so many. books. I love the smell of books. I love to read. I, like, I just want to go. I'll go back there and I feel like I'm like Belle and Beauty and the Beast and seeing all the library and stuff. It's Same thing I'm bored about the Game of Thrones when he goes to the, you know, the big... Uh, 
library that makes more sense. You know? See, when it comes to things, you like more death and destruction. I'm like, Disney magic. <laughs> See, one of my friends came by a few months ago, actually a, a Comic-Con artist. That's mm-hmm. where I met her originally. And she wanted to sit in the library and look at all the covers and check out all the different artists. So I love how everybody takes a completely different take of my little mm-hmm. nerd book collection there. Are you still recording the show there? Yes, sir. That's what's great about that, too, because it's such a good sound absorber. Right. So, I mean, we could line this up with, I could have, would have to buy tons and tons of books to line this up with. I've but. probably got spares that you can <laughs> you can have at this point. It was funny that when we were setting up our studio and Pablo walked in and he looked around and he went, cover the window, everything else is fine. And we sort of looked at him and went, what are you talking about? He goes, books, great sound. He said, you're going to have great sound in this room if you just cover that window. Oh yeah, and, and you do. I listened to the show. I was on the show once. It was great. Yes, sir. That's awesome. One day I'll get to be on it. I hope. One day. <laughs> Are you ready for the sermon? Preach, brother. Preach, brothers and sisters. Gather round. The cast members of a canceled 1980s space adventure television series, Galaxy's Quest, spend most of their days attending fan conventions and promotional appearances. Though the series' former lead star, Jason Ethbeth, thrives on the attention that the other cast members resent to varying degrees. At, the, at a convention, Jason is approached by a group of calling themselves Thermians, led by Mathazar, and who requested their help. I love the way they talk, too. Oh, that one guy. The rest of them are kind of normal, but that one guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like Coneheads. It reminds me of, of the yeah. SNL Coneheads, the way he did it. It was great. They did, they did a good job of making them look a little off, sound mm-hmm. a little off, but good enough to pass in normal society, especially out in California. Right, right. I liked the beginning of this, especially I like their take on conventions. It's it's playfully honest. It it's is. not. It's not mean. Like we said earlier, it's not mean at all. Right. I mean, I've been to a ton of these things, and I've been to right. a ton. Right. It of was it, very yeah. realistic. You've got all the the people and their cosplay, and they're watching the panels, and then they go get their autographs. And it, to me, it was pretty much spot on. And again, with a lighthearted take to yeah, it, yeah. because some of these people do really get very involved in those characters and those roles and they take it a little too far sometimes and this sort of lets you look at that aspect of their lives and their you know involvement and say okay take a deep breath and step back right no yeah um the other thing that's so you know you know when they they come out uh, they do a quick little fan appearance and we get a glimpse 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 glimpses I'll we'll get the report. I like the glimits better. Glimits. That sounds, like, kind of cool. that sounds like they're blinged out ship. <laughs> We're going to get on the, the glimits. glimits. We're going to get on the they glimits. Would, what up? That would be a good name for a ship. We'll write that down. We'll keep <laughs> <laughs> trademarked. Um, but we get glimpses of, of, you know, of their intros on the show, which is, which is great. Um, but I like the after, because I mean, it's real quick. They just want them in and out. And so they can sign autographs. Do you remember how much autographs cost? Fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. Do you know what I pay for autographs? <laughs> I have not paid fifteen dollars for an autograph ever. I have like, never paid fifteen dollars like for an before autograph. Before this show was out, I've never paid fifteen dollars. Right? I was going, man. I wish I could get it on the fifteen dollar autograph. That's one of the things that surprised me because I've been to a number of the bigger cons mm-hmm. out there, and generally speaking, an autograph is going to start off at around fifty bucks or more, right. especially if it's somebody mainstream. So I think they were sort of trying to play that back a little bit into 
to back in the day when some of those major characters probably did charge ten, fifteen dollars for an autograph. Yeah. I missed, I missed out, out on that. I missed out on Me that. Too. I missed out on that. I'm, I'm like, like we mentioned earlier, Pensacon is coming up, and I'm like, I'm already budgeting what I'm. Talking. I know. I've already been looking to say, okay, this is how much money I'm reserving for the autographs. <laughs> this is what I'm doing here. Well, we'll so. have to talk about that afterwards. I'm curious who you're gonna get. All right. So at the convention, Jason is approached by a group calling themselves the Thermians, led by Mathazard, who is requesting their help. Believing it to be for promotional appearances, he agrees to be picked up next morning in a limo. Make sure, make sure you have a limo this time. They, mm-hmm. And they do. They procure a they limo. They totally have a limo. Uh, next morning, Jason is hungover when he's picked up, and he he does not grasp that he's been transported on a working recreation of the, br- the bridge of his ship, the NSEA Protector. The starship from Galaxy Quest. Believing that uh, he has been called to perform, he gives a half-hearted orders as captain, directing them to attack their enemy, uh, General Ceres, temporarily defeating them. When the Thermians transporting back to Earth, he realizes his experiences was real. He attempts to relate this adventure to the other cast members, he but being rebuffed, went, until they realize they need the work, so they join him. That was such a great scene to me because he's sitting there just rambling on trying to tell them what happened and rattling and, and almost shaking to a point. And, you know, he'd also swapped out his his yeah, communicator. Oh, yeah. With he, so he, he also dropped and swapped out the communicator with some other fans or some, some fans that become right. very important later on in the, the show. And at the same time, he is all excited. And they're looking at him going, you're the guy that shows up late. And leaves early and snubs us all the time, and now you're fired up. What is going on, buddy? So, just to explain a little bit, so the, the aliens, the Thermians, they're they're being they're a, a peaceful octopus, non aggressive octopus race. Yeah, <laughs> people. yeah, yeah. The tentacles, squid, lot, people. squid, squid pe- people, a lot of squid people, and uh, they, who can have start uh, um, have human form. Also, who they, they don't lie and they don't know what lying yeah, is they, or they, deception. Yeah, they have no no idea about deception. They're learning it though from their their enemies. Um, they're not from DC. <laughs> no, right, right. Uh, part of the part of this is that they have. Uh, uh, Receive transmissions from Earth in the form of our television, you know, our, our television show. So, you know, when you historical documents and they consider them historical documents. And so they've caught the show, the Galaxy sure. Quest. And in their minds, this is a real thing. And this is something to emulate to the point they actually rebuild all the technology by watching the show, which is amazing to me. It was one of those things <clears throat> that was very interesting because not just trying to recreate the technology because you know it exists, you saw it worked out there, but emulating the people's movements on how to use the controls, the, the, the everything was laid out precisely like they saw it in the historical documents. That was so fun to me. So my question is, did, did either of you get to see this in theaters? No. I want to say I did. So I saw this in theaters. I'm pretty sure and I so, did. I had to go back and I had forgotten about this because this you know, movie's 20 years old. I mean, that was 99. Right. You, you know, with my libations, I can't really remember that far back. I can't remember <laughs> yesterday. I know, right? <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that brain cell's kind of soaked right now. <laughs> It'll dry out eventually. It'll dry out eventually. <laughs> but so the way the filmmaker shot the film, um, the, um, the screen's is, is smaller at the beginning of the film. And then when Jason Nesmith goes on um, when he's sent back and when he, that's when he realizes that it's all real when he sees the enormity of space the curtains um, movie theaters are supposed to push back right and so you get this enormity of how big the, and then the rest of the movies in, in, the, in the normal wide aspect but um, 
Unfortunately, a lot of theaters didn't do that, so people got seen half the film for a while. Oh no! And so they had to, yeah. So they had to send instructions on what to do. Um, so, but uh, it's really neat. You know, I, I like when directors go outside of the box and think. Yeah, and it's a as a reach to let other people take over that right you know going to rely on somebody going oh, hopefully they will push back the curtains so they can see it but <laughs> it was a cool effect and it it kind of works on the small screen too because the you know the camera pulls back and you kind of get the same feeling but it was a little different when you saw it in theaters all right so uh once aboard the protector the group learns that the thermians received transmissions of galaxy quest like we explained having no uh having no understanding of uh fiction mistook them for historical documents inspired by crew's adventures they reconstructed their society to reflect the show's values manufacturing or functioning replicas of the protector uh when the evil warlord saris attacks the ship the group flees through a field of magnetic mines Though they escape, uh, Sarah's the ship's power source is a beryllium sphere, and it's damaged. They take beryllium on a nearby planet, and the humans travel to to the surface to receive to retrieve a new sphere. After a series of mishaps, <laughs> I just have to say we have to stop because yeah, yeah. this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. The whole the whole gathering of the beryllium sphere, right? <laughs> Recovery. Right. It is hilarious because they're like, we'll just go go get this, you know. My, my favorite stuff, I mean. They're I, so cute. The, the, the comedy leading up to that, though, is funny. When they realize everything is damaged mm-hmm. and, you know, poor Sigourney Weaver <laughs> has to sit there and has to repeat what the ship says. And she just complains, I only have one, one job, job. And I'm, I'm going to do, do it. it. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. It's stupid. But, but that it, played so well into the original series. Oh, sure some did. of the things that went on. Yeah. And then when they get to the planet that has the beryllium spheres, that was so in tune with a couple of the episodes we've all Absolutely. seen in that original series. That to me was just perfectly, perfectly set up. I also like um, um, Sam Rockwell guy on this and, and guy who's like, I'll stay behind. And then he realizes I may be the guy who gets killed and stay right. behind. The red shirt there. So he goes, he can get on the mission. Then he freaks out because he goes, maybe I'm the guy who's going to get killed Kill on the mission. <laughs> His anxiety was perfect. Oh, it, it was, was such it a was. perfect played out role because in all the movies we've seen before, they don't play that. They just poof. They get shot. They they get killed. They die. And yet he knew what was going to happen. And to me, that just made it a little funnier. As um, someone growing up watching the original series, not right. Galaxy Quest, but the original series in question. <laughs> Which I did, by the way. I read the books. Oh, I did. My it was my dad was a huge fan, so we would watch it. And of course, it was syndication sure. by the time. But um, when Next Generation came out, I was so confused because Command wore red shirts. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, are they, what? <laughs> What's going on here? So being colorblind, I didn't get that until way later. <laughs> I guess not. The red shirt joke. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know. know. What, what? I get it now, but I'm like. You know, it's growing up and it just never dawned on me. It's like, those guys in gray get killed a lot or whatever. And those brown shirts are dying a lot or whatever. Now, can you see the gold? I can see the gold okay. and the blue. And so the red just looks gray to you. Depending. Well, there is no green. Uniforms. Yeah. Right, right. Unless you get to the Orions and they're just all gray, uh, gray girls. <laughs> all gray girls. <laughs> all gray girls. They're just like Solomon Grundy. It's not, it's not, not as sexy as you think it would be. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. Just you know, updated on that. Gray is not a pretty color on women. Um, I liked the you, you mentioned a little bit the the little the little adorable creatures yeah. that Gwen wants to hug because they're like oh they're like babies and then the, the wounded one shows up and oh yeah 
the poor thing gets eaten. <laughs> Which I thought was awesome. That was that was funny and sad all at the same time, but so well played. <laughs> like how guy predicted it. Though, he did. Like, it's like we should get out of there. They're going to turn into something evil. Told you it was great. Right. And the uh, rock monster. Uh, so the yeah, the rock monster was was homage to uh, Star Trek Five. Oh yeah, with Captain mm-hmm. Kirk with and who always would end up shirtless. Yeah. By the way. Yeah, yeah, and so in in, in the fight when uh, Jason has to, he, he does remove his shirt for no reason, but he takes off his shirt. But it's so, in the script. It was in the script. So the the rock monster he fight fights though. The originally in Star Trek Five there was supposed to be a rock monster that Kirk fought. Right. And um, because of the, they couldn't get this CGI to work or the special effects to work because ILM didn't work on Star Trek Five, right? Because they were working on something else. So they this other company, that's so that's one of the reasons why Star Trek Five is not great. Is you just look at the really bad special effects on the film, and so they had all this rock monster stuff. For a while, there was clips of this on YouTube of the rock monster. If I find it, I will add it into the show notes um, because I, I think it'd be fun. It's one. Um, yeah. However, the rock monster that they had put in, in, in Galaxy Quest is way much better and cooler than anything that uh, Star Trek awesome. could have done. Oh, yeah. It's a good scene. And, and of course, they saved the day. Oh, uh, where were we? After a series of mishaps is what the last thing I remember reading. Uh, after a series of mishaps, they are successful, but in their absence, Sarah seizes the protector. Jason confesses to Saris that he is not the ship's commander. When he shows Saris the quote-unquote historical documents of Galaxy Quest, Saris realizes that they're fiction and forces Jason to explain them to the heartbroken Mathazar, which is a very sad scene. Uh, uh, Saris orders the protector self-destruct mechanism to activate and returns to his ship, leaving the others to die. Uh, yeah, so they torture that poor uh, squid guy. <laughs> they just do. It's, it's yeah. Um... Which, which is funny because Saris, when, when Saris realizes what's going on, he's the one who says that you've tortured them way worse than anything I could have ever right, done. So right. it's a little knife in the chest there for you. Uh, the humans formulate a plan to abort the self-destruct and defeat Saris. Says man left on the ship with the aid of the Galaxy Quest fan on Earth named Brandon. Using a genuine Thermian communication, Jason had accidentally swapped for Brandon's prop uh, at the beginning of the film. And his network of friends... And kind of like, it, you know, five years after the internet was really starting to get going to the public, which is, I think is, is great or, yeah, uh, they, they, um, they make their way to the ship's core and shut down the self-destruct sequence, uh, while Alexander leads the Thermians in attack, uh, against Sarah's forces. The humans take back control of the protector and fly to confront Sarah's with their renewed confidence in their abilities. The crew flies through the minefield again, but evades the mines, causing them to drag behind the ship. They fly the protector straight at the sheriff's ship, veers away at the last moment and then tricks Sarah's into flying into the mines and obliterating his ship. The protector then travels back to Earth to return the humans home, but Saris, who escaped the vessel's destruction, ambushes them and fatally wounds several crew members. Jason activates the Omega-13, a secret superweapon on the protector that has been never been used and never had the capabilities explained. It causes a 13-second time warp to, uh, to the past, giving Jason and Mathazar a chance to disarm Saris before the attack. The protector's bridge splits from the main vessels and fly to Earth with the humans, when the main section departs with Mathazard leaving the Thermians. With Brandon attacking, uh, acting as a beacon, the protector bridge lands at the Galaxy Quest convention, <laughs> crashes through walls, and coming to a rest at the center of the main stage. When the crowd assumes is, uh, what the crowd assumes is a massive display of special effects. As the humans emerge, Sarah uh, re- revives to 
threaten them, but Jason shoots him, blasting him into atoms, and their cast breaks into uh, adoration of Brandon, his pals, and their fans. Sometime later, Galaxy Quest is revived as a sequel series, Galaxy Quest, The Journey Continues, and the crew reprises their roles. Credits. (laughs) So let's back up. Oh yeah, we've got a lot to cover. I just want to get through the summer. I love it when Alexander finally embraces his character like you know what I'm saying like yeah. when he because he hated that character right so yeah the whole time you know I was a Shakespearean actor after Richard the third right right and he just he just hate just killed him to like quote you know make quotes from the show and whatever but he finally By grabbed Thar's hammer yeah he hates that by the sons of Warven. <laughs> But when he finally embraces his character, I thought oh, that I was, was gonna great. I was going to finish it out. I don't know. <laughs> do it. Just do it. Do it all. Go just, ahead. Just, I just finished that. So, we've done it. Mm-hmm. I feel better now. You feel good? I do. I feel Got good. I did. I did. Sometimes you need to do that. But, but he not only hated his character, but he did a turnaround because he all of a sudden started to relate, relate to these people. Right. That he is now trying to rescue and save, but has respect for. And he said, wait a minute. They're trying to emulate me, and yet here I am hating myself, essentially. Right. Well, so, during the film, he he befriends a Thermian named Quaylek, who, you know, everybody else on the show is human, and, and um, he portrays an alien. And so Quaylek has has decided to live his life as, as you know, Quaylek. Mm-hmm. I mean, as um, the uh, Alan Rickman's character. And uh, so basically, in putting it in real terms, it's like if they watched it and was like, we're going to be, I'm going to be Worf. Right. <laughs> I'm right. gonna be worse. I want to. I want to model my life after war. Right, which and would be miserable. I wouldn't. I love Klingons. He's a bad Klingon. Well, Worf right? is a bad Klingon. Like, like he's really. He's bad also at, a bad person. He's like a bad. I'm still salty about that. I don't know if Worf is a bad person. I'm salty about my experience with Michael Dorn. That's all I gotta say about that. But um, I, I like Klingons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He could redeem himself by coming on the show. <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of like that. He he friends this little guy and then he gets killed and it's kind of sad. I see one of my, my favorite scenes in the movie, though, is when Tim Allen's character is calling the kids. Oh, yeah, you know, I love that. And and all of a sudden, he's like, I was wrong. This is all real. You guys were right. And they're like, I knew it. I knew it. And then, of course, you know, the mom starts yelling at the... the you know, <laughs> Take out the trash. Take out the trash. Don't forget the recyclables. <laughs> mom, do you know how important it is? <laughs> so, so this movie does a couple of things that I, you know, I really enjoyed for fandom. You know, they go to make this film and, you know, making a movie is kind of hit and miss anyway, you know, and even in this, they make, they, they, they kind of, life imitates art with this. So the film comes out and it does okay. And then it's kind of forgotten, mm-hmm. but there's a huge fan base for it because sure. th- thanks to cable, it just got playing, right. you know, played a lot, but it also has like catchphrases, it's got, you know, by, by Grath Hart's hammer. And then of course it's got never, you know, never go and never surrender, which is right. great. I mean, never give up. Yeah, never shows don't go out to do this and I, and, and then have it work. Like the whole thing just works, and it's it's just so much fun about that. So, have you seen the documentary, or is it out yet? Or? Yeah, I saw the documentary. I'll post the trailer and the link to it. Uh, it's super cheap on Amazon Prime. I got it for like a dollar ninety nine to rent. I haven't seen it's it. It's really good. Is it good? It really, I want to see it. It's really good. Have you seen the documentary yet? I have not seen it yet. So That's doc- on my list. So the documentary is called "Never Give Up, Never Surrender," and it's made by the guys who do uh, the Honest Trailers. 
Okay. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, do you have a libation for us? I have a couple of libations as I am pulling them up. So the first one I found was um, Grapthar's Hammer. <laughs> By Grapthar's Hammer. So it is two parts of Outer Space Vodka. What is Outer Space Vodka? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> outer Space Vodka is, hold on, it's an actual vodka. So what? It's a neutral multi-distilled spirit made from Midwest American grains that claims to have been filtered through meteorites more than four billion years old. I'm in. <laughs> so it comes in a little green alien. Oh, that's cute. I've oh. actually seen that before. Right. Oh, um, I cool. really want to try this. So. Post the link on the show notes. So it's got, I will. Um, so it's got your outer space vodka. Get back to my Check. recipe. <laughs> One part lime infused rum, three parts pineapple juice, and a dash of black walnut bitters. So you're going to shake this into uh, with ice and strain it over clean ice and enjoy. Mm, tasty. Not Klingon ice, but clean, clean, clean ice, ice. Clean ice. Clean ice. And then we have the. I've never um, even heard of black walnut bitters. Yeah, they have all kinds of bitters. I learn something every day when I'm on this podcast with you. There the you go. The only bitters I know of are all my ex-wives, which is a whole other <laughs> podcast. Which I think are 47? Uh, I lo- I've lost track. Something like that. Okay, so um, next week, listen that's, to that's us, Angela's all my ex-wives. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, our next one is called the Galaxy Quench. And it's um, <laughs> a half uh, half part Stoli vanilla vodka, half part Stoli orange vodka, a quarter part triple sec coconut water and ginger beer. So wow, that's nummy. Nice. That's awesome. Nummy. And one more just for fun for those of you who don't like vodka drinks called the blood of my enemies. You grab a glass, fill it with whiskey, sit in your favorite chair, and think of those you hate. <laughs> we don't have that much time, do we? <laughs> How drunk are you trying to get so me? So there you go. <laughs> so those are the libations. We'll post those in the show notes. So I don't have much in apocrypha for for this. No apocrypha. I, no, I don't have much. Um, you know what they shot was pretty much um, the the film was a a little darker. But they didn't go in like two specifics on it uh, about how dark it got. But you know, but um, the studio kind of pushed back and went in a comedy, and that's how we right. got we got a comedy. So I'm, I'm yeah, right. I think it works on that. However, do you know who the original director was? No clue. Um, no. Harold Ramis. Really? Really? Yeah, Harold Ramis was originally uh, attached to direct. To direct. So what happened? Uh, he turned it. He, he was attached for a while, and then he decided to move on. Uh, I think. I think he was trying to push for that darker kind of film. Oh yeah. And then it was just, you know, kind of a dark comedy. And then I got too much pushback, so he moved on. But see, some of the dark side of this to me that they they sort of pulled away from is that you know you look at Tim Allen's character, Jason Nathan, right. and how popular he is, and everybody wants his autograph. Everybody, you know, everybody loves him, and the other people are literally just a sidebar to him being there. But yet he goes home alone, big fancy house. Nobody around, no pets, no friends. They love him in his role, but nobody cares for him as a person. And so what does he do? He passes out drunk underneath the table every night. Or at least you're assuming right. every night. Right. And so to me, that was sort of the dark side of that popularity is, okay, I have become famous and popular as this particular character, but my coworkers aren't really impressed with me. 
and nobody cares about me outside of me in that role. So what is my life really about? And I took that away, and I'm not sure why I took that away, but that's one of my takeaways from this film. You can also look at the other cast members that they showed uh, outside of the thing, because you know when Gwen calls um, uh, Alexander. Uh, about you know you know how Jason was late for the the convention and all that stuff. Uh, they're both kind of well, they're all friendly. Yeah, they are friendly, Maybe but not friends, but they're at least friendly with each other. Right. And he is the outsider, but a, and treated I, differently. I, lo- I love the fact that, and this was in my trivia, but I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, I I love the fact that uh, uh, Alan Rickman is not seen in the whole film without his head, his headdress on. I know, even, right? Even in the scene where he's at his house. By himself, when right. Gwen calls him, right. he still has his head net, right. head on, which is kind of his alien head on. I thought that was really weird because, as you know, we've been to several conventions and the actors don't come in makeup. Yeah, right. or costume. Right. Yeah, and you know. it, it, even if you had to go in makeup, one of the first things you're going to do is get that stuff off you and be comfortable. Again. Yes, because wearing makeup like that is not comfortable no whatsoever. it's not I've done it it must it's be comfortable awful. for him because he just forgets to take it off I know um, it's funny now they now there's some conventions and so, some some celebrities at conventions are now are doing in character photo ops really yeah so uh, you know like uh, Kane Hodder who's Jason does a full Jason my favorite is um, uh, James Hong who's um, uh, low pan and uh Big Trouble in Little China. Right. He does a he does a low pan photo op. You can you know he he's in full costume and that's cool. You can get photo ops with awesome. him and then and then afterwards of those photo ops he'll go back to his table and has low pan and <laughs> so signing autographs that's on low pan. Cool. So yeah, that, that was that was pretty sweet. So yeah, they're starting to do that kind of stuff now, which is <laughs> real interesting. Um, so, uh, so Harold Ramis was originally supposed to uh, ca- uh, direct this and. Uh, he wanted to cast Alec Baldwin in the lead. What? What? See, that does not even... Oh, I guess if it was going to be darker, I could see that. Alec Baldwin's very funny, though. And, you know... <laughs> he so, is. So, I mean, I could... I mean... He could I, go either way. I think I think Tim Allen is perfect. Oh, yeah. But if we kind of... I mean, Alec Baldwin would have been good. But I think Tim Allen's... I'm not a big Alec Baldwin Allen, fan. He nailed, the problem is, he did such a good job in that role. I now am sort of I can't really see anybody else. Oh in that no, role yeah, it's hard. It's hard. He he nailed it on all well, aspects. You know, Tim Allen is, is a science fiction fan. He is you know a Star mm-hmm. Trek fan, and I mean he he got it. I mean completely get, gets the point of this, and he just goes in full Shatner. He does just full Shatner. Oh, on he this. does. And so, and it's just it's it's perfect. So yeah, I, I totally agree. It's hard to see anybody else, but you know that's what's fun about the apocrypha. You find about all this kind of fun stuff. Uh, Steve Martin and Kevin Klein were also uh, Kevin. It was Kevin Klein were also considered, but they turned it down. Um, uh, uh, when Tim Allen was cast, Ramus left the project. After seeing the film, Ramus said he was ultimately impressed with Allen's performance. Uh, Paul Rudd auditioned for a role, so uh, and David Allen Greer was the second choice for Tommy, and uh, Jennifer Coolidge was uh, Tommy was funny was considered for Lilari. So there's that. Nice. A little alternate casting for you. Could have been a little, little different film. Um, now, Missy Pyle and Justin Long were in another movie together that was hilarious. Uh, which one is that? Dodgeball. No, oh, yeah, that's right. They were Dodgeball. And we movie. did Dodgeball. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. Have you already done that one? We did that yeah, one. Yeah, we did that one. But yeah, they were cool. in that movie in November together. November uh, you picked that one. I picked that one for my one. November campaign. I forgot campaign. about uh, her being in that. Yeah, she's one of my favorite. The unibrow. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that. <laughs> So, a little bar trivia for you. All right. 
So the scene when Tina Allen is in the men's room overhearing how the Galaxy Quest uh, are nobodies and all the co-stars are, uh, stand, uh, can't stand in mirrors an actual event that William Shatner had. <laughs> is it? Yeah, he discovered the exact same thing about himself when attending a 1986 convention. <laughs> God love him. Um, that sounded like a real event to me. You know, when I listened to that and then saw his, and he did such a good job of, of playing out his re- reaction to that, mm-hmm. I thought this has to be somewhat based in reality because you can really see somebody like that character that has become sort of iconic in, the, in their own right and everybody else sort of falling further and further apart, further away. Right. Yeah, I can see a lot of resentment going on, especially back in the day. Not as much nowadays when we have such access to social media and other venues, but back in the day, that would have been tough. Uh, some more uh, art imitating life. Gwen DeMarco laments that her TV guide, TV guide interviewed was six paragraphs of her boobs and how they fit in her cat suit. That actually happened to Jerry Ryan when she played seven to nine on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> and I looked for the TV guide interview, and I, I'm, if I find it, I'm going to throw it on the um, show notes of how they talked about her boobs <laughs> TV guide. She does have amazing boobs though right i mean <laughs> and those tight suits yeah, i mean they're, they're meant for one thing that's right uh this film was one of the earliest to have its own uh internet domain and website galaxyquest.com which now is sadly only available on the wayback archive if i find it i'll post it however than uh, uh rather than have being a polished part of the film marketing campaign they the the site is in keeping with the film's fandom theme and is deliberately designed to look like a fan page oh, wow. with screen captures and poor html coding <laughs> oh wow in the audio commentary for star trek jj abrams 19 uh, 2009 abrams says by the way i think we can all go on record saying that one of our favorite star trek films is galaxy quest oh my gosh that's awesome <laughs> and this sequence uh, and and the sequence where kirk and sulu are falling toward uh, a vulcan without a parachute is clearly an homage to tony shalhoub's great save in the film so if you know yeah, he, Tony Shalhoub has got got this um, two handles, and that's how he's trying to um, beam Tim Allen up, up, up from the pan, trying to target him with these right. handles. They do the same thing. Chekhov is doing the same thing with handles, and right. I never, I never put two and two together at all. And so that's clearly, clearly a shout out. I to love him. that. That's the only time that he lost his cool. Like he was so calm about it. Nothing phased him. It's like, oh, I'm in space. No big deal. Oh, these are aliens. <laughs> when he no first big gets deal. there, he goes, "Whoa, cool. yeah, okay, all right." Yeah, I mean. But yeah, when he's having to actually save someone, that's when he loses his shit. Yeah. It was great. The NSEA protector serial number is NTE3120. Do you know what NTE stands for? Ironically, I thought you were going to ask this last night and I went, I need to remember this and went (laughs) off the other direction. Not the eggplant. You're very close. Not the Enterprise. Oh, well. <laughs> Not the Enterprise. Went, should, hey, eggplant was very random. <laughs> You're close. That, that makes sense on I this. I don't know why eggplant popped in my head. I think eggplant is code for Enterprise at the shop. Maybe that's what you're maybe, thinking. Maybe it is. Uh, the design of the NSEA protector is based on a Star Trek uh, com badge. Nice. The character Guy Fleegman was uh, intentional homage to the very busy Star Trek The Next Generation actor Guy Vanderman, who not only played several no-name extras in the series, but he also served as a stunt stand-in double for Brent Spiner, who played Data, and Will Wheaton, who played Wesley. Uh, his uh, <laughs> reaction to the homage, I just about fell out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Lee Larley uh, is the first main role uh, Missy Pyle landed in a feature film. Her role was expanded after uh, after the producers, namely Steven Spielberg, noticed Sigourney Weaver was the only female main character. Can, can we go back and talk about the tentacle sex? <laughs> well, of course we can. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> so do you think they went all the way? <laughs> well, according to the look on Guy's face, I'm pretty sure some tentacles went some places that are not natural. We're not expected. So, We're not expected, maybe. So Tony I can't Sh- say unnatural. So uh, Tony Shalhoub's character and uh, Leilari uh, have uh, what we would call an attraction, and they quickly um, bond. <laughs> they have tentacle sex in front of a guy. Yeah, and, and the, the funny thing is they, they have these generators, whatever, that make them look human. Right. And then every once in a while they go on the fritz, and you know Tony Shalhoub, he just... I'm making out with this person and now there's a tentacle in it. Let's just roll with it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Before the release of the movie, a promotional mockumentary video titled Galaxy Quest 20th Anniversary The Journey Con- Continues aired on E! Presenting the Galaxy Quest television series as an actual cult series and an upcoming film as a documentary about the making of the series, presenting in the same way Star Trek, uh, the way to Star Trek. It features fake interviews of the series cast and portrayed by the actual actors and uh, and Questarians, who are the fans, and critics. Um, I will have this on the show notes. I watched it this morning. It's That'd great. Be great. It's, I didn't know that existed, and it was very, very great. Uh, last but not least, uh, starting in August 2008, uh, the, uh, the Galaxy Quest comic book was written by Scott Lobdell, who, um, if people are friends of Marvel Comics, he has killed Colossus, his whole entire family in different different comic books over the years. Asshole. He has a big <laughs> out for the Rasputins. I don't know what it is. I want to ask him one day. The story centers on the eve of the relaunch of Galaxy Quest series, now t- titled Galaxy Quest The Journey Continues. Uh, when a world-threatening crisis uh, occurs that requires Jason Esbeth and his fellow actors to save the world once again. And so, that came out. I think it's available on trade. I didn't even know that there were comics. I didn't know there wasn't comics either, so I'm going to have to go hunt it down. Hmm. Now, see, one of my questions when we started talking about doing this movie for mm-hmm. this show is, if you were going to do a sequel, what would you do? And And my initial reaction was, why would you try to do any level of sequel? Because it was perfectly done the way it was supposed to be. It, it, it paid a humorous homage to the original series. And anything else you'd try to do would just be forced. It would be. I do like the fact they did a documentary on it, though. Right. Which that does make sense. I th- and I think that's the only way to go with something like this. I would drop the entire real-life aspect and show the show. And just show the show. Just, just do an episode of Galaxy Quest. Do Galaxy Quest TNG like 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 we had already knew what the original series was, and treat the the film like, as the quote unquote original series, and then we're now all in on the gag. Uh-huh. So let's have this. But <clears throat> the 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 hiccup in this now though is that I think the Orville does this so well. Oh, oh, that I, is I, very can, true. I cannot wait until it comes back on. Yeah, so the, the Orville, I mean, Seth uh, McFarlane took the idea of, of of Galaxy Quest as a show and made it. That's, it's and amazing. And so it's, it's a, Galaxy Quest is, you know, is, is, is great. Um, the Orville is currently my f- favorite Star Trek thing on out. So I like it better than like Discovery and I like it currently better than I like Picard. I don't dislike Picard, but it's like I think the Orville nails. It fits. It fits. It fits. It fits. I like it. I can't say it's my favorite sci-fi, Star Trek-esque show, no, I mean, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just I saying love currently, it. Like, like, 
currently. Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, DS Nine. Yeah. (laughs) See, the only thing I could see them possibly doing is taking the kids, Mm. you know, that were all impacted by this. It's real. It's not real. It's real. It's not real. And in some way, be able to take them out of their roles as fans and force them into having to take on the roles as. Being in the oh series, yeah, being in the show. I would have loved to have seen some of the fans in space or right. something. I would be terrible up there. I mean, I know like I know a lot about Star Trek, and if this was like if something like if I got beamed on the Enterprise, I'd be like I'm confused. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I'm out. I'd be like uh, depending on the Enterprise because if it's like D, I'm like I'm just gonna hang out the holodeck. I'll see y'all later. Holodeck would you know? <laughs> I would. I would. Right. I would be addicted to the holodecks and the food replicators. <laughs> Which you can have in a holodeck. So it's like, I know. That's a win win for you. I know. I know. Uh, Roddenberry.com had a, uh, on their Facebook page, had a, um, uh, like a, a poll, you know, you got to give up one replicators or holodecks. I'm like, you can't, you can't use holodecks without replicator technology. So you, and you know, you, it doesn't work that way. See, I mean, I'm not like, that kind of level nerd. Well, you could be on a ship that doesn't have a holodeck. Right. I mean, so, you know, that's how you would do that. But I'm if, just saying that if I had holodeck. to choose between the two, I'm going to give up holodecks because I'm not going to eat ship rations. <laughs> or field that, rations. Is, that is very true. I'm going to have good food and good drinks. Yeah, because space MREs does not no. sound like a tasty thing. No. See, I, do replicators only make synthahol? Yeah, but I mean. I mean, Guinan had a whole like bar under Well, the, so does Quark. Quark's it's got the real stuff, the too. stuff too. But I think you can only get synthahol in a replicator. That's fine, but I don't want to like go through a whole five year space mission eating space rations. I got you. I feel you. You I'm, know, I want some good food. I mean, <laughs> I mean that good food. Coffee? On, on like, I got to have my coffee. I'm like Enterprise, the the first Enterprise. Chinos. <laughs> <laughs> so because they didn't have replicators on the first Enterprise, but they had they had it was like a cafeteria, but it they was like a, they had like a sm- space cafeteria. They could just put a card in, and that's what they would get. Yeah, I, and they get their stuff, so, like whatever stuff yeah. it is. So they had that version of that, but you know, you've got to think about how far back that was originally done. Oh yeah, and and that was pretty edgy for the time. And then Enterprise had a chef. <laughs> That you never saw. Oh yeah, yeah I guess the, it the, did. The big joke was that you and then. So did Voyager actually, but you saw him yeah, all the you time. Saw the Neelix. <laughs> and they had replicators. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, but they had like you had to ration your replicators. Yeah, because you know so much yeah. power. So the budget of this film was forty-five million dollars. How do you think it did on its opening weekend, which was December twenty-fifth, nineteen ninety-nine? Like money-wise, money-wise, it's Christmas release. My initial thought is pathetic, just because some of these films don't really start off at the theaters doing well. It's once they start getting picked up after the fact that things become exciting. So I'm thinking pretty poorly. I'm going to see with the cast. I'm going to say 24. The opening weekend, 24? I'll mm-hmm. give you... I, 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 24? What do you think? How much do you I think, think it made? I think a little high. Give me a number. You got to play the game. Seven. Whoa, geez. Whoa, we're both way out of line. Way. Seven million. I thought with a big cast, but okay. Well, it's a big cast, but they're yeah. all You're not right. known Oh, wait for a minute. This. Is this one of those trick questions where it was like limited release? No, no, no. Oh, okay. uh, no, the December no. 25th release, you said. Yeah, it was a Christmas release, so, you know, Christmas, yeah, Day's, so Christmas a big, Day. Christmas Day's a big day for movies. I know. And um, I always go to movies on Christmas Day. I, Same here. I'm not at work, I do. Um, and then uh, it's worldwide... Um, it's total U.S. gross was seventy one million. Um, it, how did, I will say it opened the top ten. Where do you think it landed? The opening weekend. Eight. Tenth. Seventh. 
Good. Really? Yeah. You what were to, the other movies? Yes, want, we want to know. Okay. No, no guesses? <laughs> No I don't remember 99. Come on now. What's <laughs> last December of Every 99. episode I throw this question out. If anybody wants. You know, I don't know. One day someone's going to surprise me. Uh, um, number one was Any Given Sunday. I never saw it. Never saw it. Oh, it's good. It's good. Dude loses an eyeball in that. It's pretty awesome. All right. Isn't that a football movie? Yeah, it's, it's Oliver Stone's football That's movie. That's probably why I haven't it's, seen it's, it. It's his movie. His like, the NFL sucks and here's why movie. And okay. it's, it's pretty awesome. Okay. Um, number two is The Talented Mr. Ripley. That was good. I've uh, seen that several times. Number three, Stuart Little. Okay. Read the books. Kids tried to watch the movie. Mm. Hated it. Kids no. movie. Number two, Toy Story 2. Haven't seen it. That's a good one. I don't do Disney. Two was not bad. Three. Don't look at me like that. Two, I do some Disney, but not. I did not like three. I, two's was my good? favorite. I um, agree. Uh, number five was The Green Mile. Oh, that was a great movie. Great book. Great so movie. There's yeah, your coffee. Great book too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not spelled the same. Uh, all right, so I will say that in the year it landed in the top 100. 99. 97. 94. Oh, well. Hmm. Uh, movies. Do you want to guess what the top uh, movies of 1999 were? The Green Mile. <laughs> no, I think it was in the top 25 though. Um, it was lower than I thought it was, but I think it was because oh, of the 99. Movie. Did any Star Wars come out in 99? That was yes. my first thought. Yes, yes. Anything. yes it was. Hold on, hold on. Hey, Star Wars did come out. Hold on. <laughs> let me let me do my... F- it would be the second one of the shitty movies. Yes. <laughs> so, which would be the clone, clone, the, you know, that one. The clone, Attack the of the cl- Clones. The Clone, the Clone, you know that Attack one. Attack of the Clones. Incorrect. No. <laughs> Was it the last one of the shitty movies? It's the first one. Really? <laughs> that came out in 99? Yeah, Star Wars episode one, uh, Phantom Menace comes out in 1999. It's number one. Really? Yep. Number two. Oh, you are right. Okay, I got that. I was in Colorado. No? Was I here? I don't know. I didn't know you were in I don't remember. Brain cells. Um, number two was The Sixth Sense. Oh, that was good. Good movie. Uh, number three was Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Oh, I love that movie, too. I'm not gonna lie, that it's was a funny movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, though. I oh, I was it. living in Colorado Springs it, then. I okay, I remember. I remember going to see those movies. I wonder if it holds up. Number four is Toy Story Two. Didn't see it. And last but not least, number five, rounding out, is The Matrix. Oh, that's a great Ooh, movie. Love that movie. So yeah, and then Galaxy Quest is '94, and we haven't done another film in '99, so we can't compare what how one of our films have done. All right. Pretty so screw Mary Kill. Yeah, who do you want to screw Mary Kill? Because I looked at the you're, list. You're the one that I looked at the list and I was like, I can't, I can't figure it out because there's just so. The no, you got to pick three. So uh, to- well, one of them has to be Jason Nesmith. Okay. Um, and then I guess um Sigourney Weaver. Okay. And then I uh, will do Sam Rockwell, <laughs> Guy Flakeman. Okay. <laughs> I love how you're alternating between the characters and the actors. <laughs> right. 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 That's how my brain works. <laughs> Starting with you. Um, we're killing guy. <laughs> because because it, he's had it coming the yeah, whole so movie. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to screw Sigourney because she had great tits in this movie. And she looks good with blonde hair. And I'm going to marry what's his face because he just landed. He just landed a lead role on a new TV series at the time. 
Tony Shalhoub? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Tim Allen Tim character. Allen? Yeah, Tim Allen. Yeah, but not Tim Allen. I'm talking Jason about the character. Yeah, Jason, yeah, because Jason is now a star of a new TV series, so he'll have some money. Ah, oh, gotcha. I gotcha. So, there She's you go. planned that well, hasn't she? Uh, real quick, um, I was going to mention this earlier, but I forgot you reminded me on their blonde wig. Um, I mentioned that Tim Allen is a huge science fiction fan. Uh-huh. He had an original piece of the Stromo, the ship from Alien. Oh, that's and he, awesome. And he had Sigourney sign it. That's so cool. Sweet. And she signed it. Uh, Tim Allen stole this, love Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> which pissed him off for like the rest of the day. He was upset that she wrote that. On, I, oh, uh, I think it would be cool. And then, sort of fun. I like it. Then um, she kept the blonde wig. Uh-huh. And they, they all went to a 20th anniversary screening of Alien, and she just snuck in wearing the blonde wig. Oh, so, that's awesome. So she was snuck in. I thought that was kind of cool. Anyway, the blonde wig, that's what made me think of that. All right. And you? Give me the, the guidelines to this one again. <laughs> you have to kill one, screw one, and marry one. Damn. Well, of course, there's only one I can screw. That's pretty you think that, but <laughs> well, yeah. I, of course, I could go right. for one of the tentacle ladies. That's true. But that's, she's not in the. She's not in the the no, tentacle ladies but, in the mix. But, but tentacles. I mean, yeah. But we've really drilled this down. It's pretty narrow. It's true. You know, it's, it's either true. Sigourney, tentacle lady, or mom. Yeah, there's not you many. Not, I didn't write it. There's not a lot of women in this. No, room. no there's <laughs> not. No. There's not. And of course, there's a lot of the fans. Right. You know, true. They're they're sort of fan un, number eighty seven. Right. <laughs> unnamed many numbered fans like fan out there. Eight, so, number eighty seven. So yeah. I, so yeah, I'm gonna have to go a really. I'm gonna really stretch on this one. So Sigourney Weaver, of course, will have to be the one I screw. Hmm. Um. We're gonna go out on the edge and say Tony Shalhoub is the one you marry. Because he's already <laughs> making it out with the the alien tentacle girl, so I'm free and clear. This is one of those marriages of convenience. Uh, convenience right, right, right. Totally convenient. Just gonna cash in. You and tentacle girl, you do your thing. I'm gonna be over here, staying away from you too. <laughs> and then let's get rid of Jason Nesmith. You know, look at that. Let him go out in flames. I will um, <laughs> also kill Tim Allen. Wow. And back to the actor, not the role. Or Jason Edsmith. <laughs> now I'm he's killing two I'm people. Saying, Damn it. I'm for, just, for an older guy I, that you don't <clears throat> look at in like a sex symbol role, he looked pretty good with his shirt off. I got you. I'm just I, got you. I guess I will screw. <laughs> I, I, I think Tim Allen does great in everything he does, but. He may not be great in bed, which is what he's basically trying to say. Why not? <laughs> I'm not screwing him. I'm screwing Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> right. So, so it's fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess. Oh, uh, I guess I will screw Sam Rockwell. What? Yeah, but you what? know what? You know why? Because you know he might need that. I mean, he's been. He's been. He needs some extra love. Well, right. He's been you know, all anxiety. Just you know. That just, is true. I'm just trying to do. I mean, I'm just trying to do a brother do, solid. Do a solid. Just, just <laughs> a solid. Just hook your brother up. You just like take the edge off, buddy. Right. Hey, buddy. This is a, let me love you. I'm a magical lover. Let me love L- you. Let me love you. <laughs> let me love you. That's so awesome. And then I'm going to marry Sigourney Weaver because, of course, I'm going to. You can't ma- not. I'm, of course, I'm going to marry Ripley. That's kind of one of my fantasies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's awesome. So, that's, With that or without has, the wig? Both. That's what's great about a good marriage. <laughs> there you go. Just bring the wig in when you want to spice things up. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I just had this flash of you walk in and he's wearing the wig. You're like, okay. Oh, you mean her wearing the wig. I'm I'm sorry. I I do like a good wig. That's awesome. Just ask Sam Rockwell. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, all right. Uh, so, uh, would you recommend this film? Absolutely. Hell yes. Absolutely. Uh, that's a third for me. I agree. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's a great movie. It's a, it's a fun. Yeah, it's a fun movie. It's also a good. <clears throat> I think it's a good film if you're if you've got a friend who doesn't watch Star Trek and you want to get them into Star Trek. Right. I don't. Is, I, I don't <clears throat> have friends like that. <laughs> Well, I think this is one of those movies, though, that you can I'm watch I'm talking to it. our audience. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you can watch this movie over and over again and still enjoy it. You know, you mentioned the movie The Sixth Sense. Right. That's one of those movies that's like, okay, once you've seen it and you know the hook at the end. I don't want to see it again. It, there's no point in seeing it again. Uh, this, you're going to pick up something subtle, something funny, and at the same time, you can just watch it, have a cocktail or seven like Stephanie, and just have a good time enjoying everything because it's there's not a lot of minutia there you have to focus on and pay attention to. It's just a feel-good, fun film. And by the way, I only had one cocktail, one whole bottle. <laughs> there you go. One so bottle. we mixed that one. That's one. <laughs> I oh, will, during this one or when I actually watched it? <laughs> I will say that um, I think you should watch The Sixth Sense twice. Once to watch it. If you've never seen it, once to watch it and, you get the, yeah. and get the hook. I mean, I've seen it twice. And then you watch it again to see the what hook. You missed. What you missed. You see the hook in action. You know right. what movie and I think it's great. is great? That once you get the hook, this is if you had not read the movie, uh, read the book prior, okay. which I read before the movies, sure. but um, Fight Club. I can still watch that over and over again, yeah, even Fight though Club's I know great. the yeah, twist at the end. Yep, that's one of those movies though, that there's so much other stuff going on in that movie mm-hmm. that the twist at the end is just sort of an added little wow. Right? Were you over that night when we watched it with Chris? Yes, okay, I thought so. I thought it was you watched Fight Club with Chris. Yeah, yes. Chris, because Chris I brought soap. That's right. You did bring the soap. I did bring the soap. soap. Yeah, that's right. Did he like it? Yeah, he loved it. Oh wow! And but it's it was you, me, and KP. Yep. And we watched. I remember watching it. And uh, I hate I was not invited to that I'm one. Just, I'm sorry. I don't think you could make it. I think you were invited. Was I invited yeah, to that? It was like a year and a half ago. It's been no, a, while, a, while a while ago. It's been a while. That's so, one of my favorite movies. Yes, yeah, not something we just was like. <laughs> I want to be Marla. I want to cosplay Marla one you day. Totally, carves. You should do that. I will one day. There you go. You should. You should totally do that. Angela, where can we find you? Uh, two guys and some change, mobilebaycoins.com, all over Facebook at 106.5 FM every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Um, 2204 Government Street. Come in and say hey. Talk to us about nerd stuff. Maybe check out things there at the shop. You That's can also find me there sometimes. <laughs> They have some cool nerd stuff at the shop, too. They have some really neat coins. I've, I've bought, bought a few. Who knew that, <laughs> that you could have cool coins that were nerd, pop culture related? Oh, yeah. And, and have it be something fun. And not just fun, but something you can purchase and potentially, you know, who knows, make a little money on. One of my favorite things I've, I've bought recently from a few months ago from, 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 from you was the John Wick Coin. Oh, those are so. That's one I of know. my favorites. I think, they, they think did, there's one for me to buy, right? You did you I send me? Yeah, good, because I need so to they, purchase they did, that. They did, they did so. And yeah, I'm just explaining I've this. I've got like, a Darth like, Vader coin. It's like, I, yeah, well, that's cool. That's yeah, it is cool. But the, the whole the the John Wick coin. I know we're going completely off. No, off no, topic we're, here we're, with we're, this. But. I don't know if you've listened to the show. The show's mostly all the shows on the we network. We actually did really well staying on topic. We're usually like, excellent, excellent. But John Wick, especially. To me, the whole thing is very ironic because you watch the movies and he pulls out a bunch of coins that basically say, hey, guys, I'm an assassin. I'm a bad guy. And you're going to walk around New York or wherever carrying those. Well, if you happen to get pulled over and stopped, that brands you as 
a bad guy. And then they continue that through all the movies. So it's like, wait a minute, I understand you're part of the secret club. You have the secret gold coin that you're going to pay for all your stuff with. But that brands you as being that person. And so to me, it's like, why would you want to do that to yourself? Because the cops never mess with John Wick. Exactly. Unless you want to be an assassin. I mean, there's people that they want that lifestyle. Well, sure. But at the same time, if you're going to get into that role, you're going to be... I would be a terrible assassin. What I'm I'm saying is, is that marks them as don't mess with me because there's going to be my whole club, whatever, is going to come and get you. If, yeah, so... At the same time, the whole concept of being an assassin is somebody that goes out, kills somebody, and disappears, and you never really knew who or what did it. Oh, I you like- suspect. You usually suspect somebody, you know, yeah. who did it, but you don't know or don't have proof. But I loved in the third movie how they really, really built up and explained a little more about the coins. and the, Right. You know. Oh, I love John Wick. You know, John Wick is... The first one was easily a throwaway film, and it luckily made enough money to warrant a sequel. And they were like, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to make the Harry Potter of assassin films. And so they just lay down this crazy lore. And then on the third film, they just up it. And they just, like, I love all three films. And and the only criticism I have for John Wick 3 is by the time I'm done with it, I'm exhausted. Oh, yeah. It is like, (laughs) what is so much action that you, well, it's nice because. I, I'm one of those that I multitask a lot when I'm watching movies and sometimes I'll miss like subtle things because I'm doing two or three different things while I'm watching a movie, but not John Wick well, see, at all. To it's me, like, and this is a question I have for both of you because you're mm-hmm. you're really into the types of movies and books that I enjoy, mm-hmm. but to me, John Wick 3 felt like the first half was one movie and the second half was a the ending of a second movie and then they sort of shoved them together and tried to make them fit and from what little i've tried to research Mm -hmm. online without getting frustrated it seemed like that's a little bit of what they did they were going to start doing one movie and wrap a trilogy and then they knew it was going to do so well they went no we need to sort of stretch it out right right it did feel it, it was like that it wasn't um it wasn't not a cohesive movie but there was so much going on it didn't bother me so, so, I mean, it was just like, I, I really enjoyed it. My favorite crazy thing about John, all three John Wick films is that they happen over the same week. Yeah, bless yeah. his heart. It's the same week. Poor John Wick. Yeah. He <laughs> he's had a rough week. He's got to be exhausted by the end of this. And, and you know, you don't see an energy drink from anywhere bill. in the entire damn film. Gets no, but he's going to be living on those. He's like, got it. he's taken something, though. Well, yeah. He's, he, he's taken, you know, some, some bills some, or this or that. Some magic yeah. Wolverine juice or he's whatever taken, it is. Exactly. He's definitely chewing on he's something that's keeping him going. basically a superhero by the time we're done with the third film. But Pretty much. I love the dogs in the last movie. I did. I like it. That was great. And I love the Iron Chef. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was hilarious to me. But, but the, the, to me, the concept from the first half of that movie with the dogs and everything, and then go to the person that's above the table. You know, when you look right. at the mythology to that, to me, somebody that's above the table is going to say, they're not doing their job. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. We need to destroy and rebuild. Right. We need to burn the damn city down. <laughs> you know, get on the dragon, burn the damn city down. <laughs> We're going to start this over fresh. And instead saying, you need to suck it up, buttercup, cut off your finger and, and, and right. play by the rules. To me, that it, it's like, wait a minute. That is not at all what I expected at that point of the movie. I expected right. a totally different direction. And so 
they moved forward and I said, okay, I can sort of get it. I love the action sequences. I mean, I thought that was fantastic. They were great. That's no, good. No, but it's, it's solid. <laughs> the storyline behind that, I was a little frustrated with. And But as you and I have talked about before, Scotty, I want a beginning, a middle, and an end to a lot of my stories, and comics don't work that way. No, no they, they don't. They no. don't. And, and that's something all. that I have a mental hard time with. It's like, okay, end that damn story and start the next one, not just keep... Keep it's like episodes. stories and comics kind of merge right. into they, each they, other. They merge and keep going. They never end. They never it, die. Right. They're, they're not lines. So, Unless it's like a like a mini series within the comics. Well, sure. then that, yeah. So our, our next film uh, we're doing is They Live. We're doing it live this week at um, Pensacon. And while I have you here, since you are such a the voracious reader, yes, have you read the original? First of all, have you seen They Live? I have. All right. Have you ever read the short story, 8, uh, eight o'clock in the morning? <clears throat> I think I have, but it's been a long time. I read it last night as part of my research. Really? Yeah. First I time. I, for, I, yes, go ahead. First time <laughs> I ever. I knew it was a short story, mm-hmm. but first time I ever went to look it up and read it. It's really good. It's, it's real. It's quick. It's real fast because it was written for those. You know, it was written in '64 and it was written for one of the science fiction magazines. So, right. so they were really easy digestible, but. Um, um, different than the, the movie because it's the book. The, sh- the story is literally so short that um, they expanded a lot on it, which um, I, I liked. I, I liked them both, but um, we'll, and we'll talk about it more in the, that episode. But I just want. Yeah, I'd I, love to be able to be there with you guys, but unfortunately, I will have to be working that weekend. So I'm so sorry. I, I might sneak down Sunday. It, now, is there enough going on Sunday at Pensacola yeah, to make it worthwhile? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah We have a table and all of that. Actually, you know, if you can come Saturday evening, we've got another panel. Yep, we got uh, the, game the game show. The game show Saturday show. evening. So, gotcha. I might try to do that. Um, but yeah, they've got. Um, I mean, it's you know what's great about Pensacon, they're really good about having a full event schedule, and you know they have a, oh, a, yeah. a ton, all three days are packed, ton of celebrities and ton of panels and tons of things to do all Excellent. three days, all three days. So, which is which is great because most cons are like we're Saturday and Sunday's kind of half assed. This is like they are no, it's full on. So it makes Pensacon special. <laughs> It's a good show. And it's fun. I'll be a little hungover Sunday. It'll be fine. No. <laughs> so it's basically Sunday. <laughs> so it's just so Sunday. It's basically Sunday. She's going to be looking for mimosas on the Sunday morning. Yep. So, uh, so and I, I know where to find them. I know where to find them. I'm missing a bottle of champagne. I know what's going on. <laughs> so before we go, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Two Guys and Some Change? Yeah, so we have a coin shop here in town. Right. And one of the things that we noticed very quickly years ago when we started the business is that a lot of people want to learn about coins, but anytime you want to learn about something, you're a little shy, a little embarrassed because you don't know how much you don't know, so you don't ask questions. So we started a radio show on 106.5 FM to sort of be the local experts on coins and gold and silver bullion and veering into the collectibles and pop culture stuff but we wanted to treat this in a really lighthearted fashion so you might remember the the show car talk mm-hmm. years and years ago yeah, very much with tom and ray and they took a very very lighthearted, sometimes frivolous approach to car repairs and you know did a lot of silly things and goofy things i loved the way they presented their show and so we wanted to do something similar so if you have a question about coins or gold or silver bullion or you know you heard this ad on tv and it's going to be the end of the world tomorrow <laughs> unless you own this i love those heads <laughs> and and it's, those are great and they're frustrating at the same time so we try to shed some light on some of those things we try to put a lot of information out there for folks stocks to are all going to close all you need is gold it, well right and when gold hits twenty thousand dollars an ounce if you don't don't have this you're gonna be left really people <laughs> really 
You know, and well, what happened during the last collapse? None of that crap. None of the stuff you're telling me today happened the last time. Did some bad stuff happen? Yeah. Did gold or silver prices go up? Yeah. So, so that being said, we try to explain and make make light of some of that seriousness. We want to explain to people how coin collecting works, how gold and silver bullion works, and if you want to get into that as a hobby, we're gonna sort of sort of. You know, scrape away some of the mythos and the crap that's being piled out there and let you learn about it as a fun, enjoyable topic. And I think, you know, Stephanie's now working with us there at the shop. Okay. And that's she awesome. will be on the on the show before too long. And I mean, what do you what have you learned? Because I know you've made a couple of comments off the air, of course. Right. About how different it is than what you expected. Um oh gosh, I've learned so much. Um, number one, I did not know how big um uh, i can't even just say coin collecting because it's not even just coins it's it's metal acquiring you know it's uh, you know the uh, nerd term now is stacking people stacking are trying to stack is what it is of silver and gold right. oh i like that we're i st- like stacking. We're stacking stacking i but i didn't know how big of a thing it was and um it's crazy and the the so many different types of coins and um the way that they are valued um, is very interesting. Uh, errors are a big thing. Yeah. I mean, the more error you think errors, you know, it's just screwed up. But no, it's, it makes it more valuable on, on actual coins. And then we have people that come in and just buy, they just buy silver, just ounces of silver, which is what I've started doing kind of as um, kind of a, my own savings account. <laughs> Instead of putting it in the bank, because if it's in the bank, I'm going to spend it because I have that right. card attached to my savings account. So it's it's very interesting to see and and to see how people react to um, the increase in the gold and silver. What's going on now? It's it's kind of interesting. One of the things that surprised me when I first started doing all this and really getting into it is the fact that coins and history and economics are so tightly woven together it's almost mind-altering absolutely a lot of people you know know that we had silver in our coins we had gold in our coins but they don't realize that there are pivotal moments in history where we changed our economic policy that's true and then we took ourselves off of a gold standard Mm. because fdr wanted to do the new deal Mm -hmm. well you can't do that if your money is tied to a gold standard because you can't make fake money and it's pay true. for these things, pay for these benefits for people, but have it tied to gold and silver because you don't have the gold or silver to do that. And then in the 70s, and this is something I learned at the shop, is that you know up until 1970, basically Nixon said, wait a minute, foreign countries can take money invested in the United States and cash it in for silver, which is worth about 20% more than what the money is actually worth. So foreign entities were just saying, hey, I have ten thousand dollars in in U.S. dollars. Get, you know, go to the bank, give me some coins, and then they would take those coins, melt them down, and take a profit. And since it's a foreign country, foreign entity, they could do that. Right? right. Legally, we could say, Scotty, <laughs> you can't melt down those coins, or we will smite thee. <laughs> right. Maybe they didn't say smite in nineteen seventy, right, right. but, but still, the, the concept smote. was there, right? <laughs> smote, it's it's smitten, un-American. Smutted. Don't you melt know, those coins. You can't do that. But these other countries were doing that, and it's like, wait a minute, they're making money off of us. So. They took us off the silver standard, you know, got silver out of the coins, which then caused the United States to catch up to the rest of the world with all sorts of crazy inflation and some other things that were going on. But I didn't realize how much all of that stuff was tied together 
until we started messing with coins and things there at the coin shop. Mm-hmm. It was very, very enlightening to me. It's yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I before working here, I knew nothing about coins, other than that I have to have them, you know, <laughs> to spend. But what I'm learning, I I didn't know certain coins were silver, actual silver. Mm-hmm. I was born in the '70s. My parents baby. didn't save. I know, right? She's a kid. I'm a baby. <laughs> um, but my parents didn't save coins. Sure. I didn't, you know, no one in my family collected coins. So it was just not something I was ever familiar with. So it's, Dad had a collection back in the late 80s, early 90s. And he, I think he piddled around for about 10 or 15. He still got it, but I don't think he's been active in it in a while. while so. I, I wish I had saved back in the day. See, one of my favorite <coughs> science fiction authors slash fantasy authors is Lee Matissette. And one of the things he really tries to do is make sure that the structure of his stories, whether it's science fiction or fantasy, fits into an economic functional role. Mm -hmm. You think about it, if the Hobbit's going to go on a year and a half long quest, well, what's going to happen to his house? It's going to be seized for back taxes. Right. It's going to be rotting and, and have leaks in the roof or whatever else is going I'm, I'm on. I'm like, I got to save the shire. Y'all got to move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, wait a minute, guys. I can't leave for a year and a half. I mean, you know, we don't think about that. So we, we read right. The Hobbit and, and we watch the movie and we see all this fun, cool stuff. And we go, who cares about the economics? Well, this guy is a science fiction and fantasy author, but he's also an economics professor out at the university in Utah. And so he forces all of his stories to fit into some level of economic structure. So that if makes you have sense. magical abilities, yes, you can use your magical abilities to do all of this stuff, but there's going to be a magical cost to you, and then there's going to be an economic reward to you, and those costs and rewards are going to balance out. And he actually made me think about what we do a lot. <laughs> Because most people don't think about the cost and rewards with what they do. And he sort of forced that into a fantasy role. And I went, hmm. See, that's good things to think about. I guess that's why we'll leave your show on, on a deep thought. There you go. Thoughts by Angelo. This is Scotty saying this is our contribution to the multiverse. Go out and make yours. Bye. <laughs>